Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of Outlaw Radio, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, following program is produced with an artistic... Here we go. First 90 seconds of every show is dedicated to Howard Lapidus's microphone cord. I sound good. I love the static off the bike cord from Howard. And now it's done. And now it's done. Yes. Take two. Live from the Gleaming Streamline Studios. When have you ever been cleaning it and streamlined? No, look at my look at my kishkas. No. <laughs> no. Produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network, True Crime Uncensored. I am the, dare I say it, and I do dare, legendary Burl Bear. The man over there, Howard Lapitas. Yes, I am. And Mark C.G. Boyer. I gotta, are... find, I gotta find Mark's bike. No. no. No, thank God it doesn't work. <laughs> oh, so so we're gonna have a show here today. Yeah, Let's we're gonna go. have a show. Henry Hill, remember Henry Hill, Howard? Yes, we. I do. In fact, I, re- I remember sitting next to Henry Hill right in this very studio. Right, that must have been awfully exciting for you. It was. It, it was. Um, it was an unexpected day, and there I'm sitting with Henry Hill. And yeah. now here, this is an unexpected day. He's long gone, but we get to talk to him. <laughs> or about him, I'm about sorry. Him, about him. Henry Hill and Daniel Simone collaborated together on the... Luf- Luf- I can't even pronounce it. Lufthansa. Do- Thank you. Lufthansa heist behind the $6 million cash haul that, dare I say it, and I do dare to say it, shook the world. That's probably the most earth-shaking thing since Jennifer Aniston had that picture where you could see half her breast. All right, li- all right listen, listen. When you, say shook, when you say shook the world... Shook the world. That's, that's overhyped. I know, but it says that on the front of the book. Daniel I, Simone, welcome I, to the show. My pleasure to be with you, Burl. That's what you think. Get off the uh, speakerphone. <laughs> I'm sorry? If you're on a speakerphone, don't be. Don't be. Hang, let me reverse some to back to the uh, audio. Hang on. Yep. <laughs> Hello? Hi. Oh, there he is. There he is. That sounds much better. I met Daniel Simone in New York City when I was back there as a guest of Punch. As a matter yeah. of fact, and we had a wonderful time. We did a TV show with Baruch Santana. That's his real name. Yes, we did. We certainly had a great time. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was, and he was surprised to find out that I was familiar with Henry Hill and uh, Lisa and all those strange people. And very strange people, and yes, I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small why, world. Why, why would that surprise you? Why? Because I, uh, a man of your status and uh, uh, your uh, uh, sophistication, I didn't think that you would be uh, um, fraternizing with that uh, bunch. Well, that's a, you see, that this is Howard, so I don't get to fraternize with that bunch. But we're talking about Burl, who I rarely let out of here. <laughs> because I'm afraid he'll fraternize and 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 blow the whole bit. Yeah, that's that's. See, this is, in fact, that, Daniel, I don't know whether you know this, we are the number one true crime show in worldwide radio. It is the most interesting show ever. (laughs) Ever in the history of the world. When it comes to true crime. Now, if I let Burl out talking... How impressive. Well, that is impressive, but uh, if we let Burl out talking, it becomes...
impressive. Yeah, it's a tragic story. Anyway, tell us how you happened to hook up with Henry Hill and uh, write this incredible book about the Lufthansa. Lufthansa. It was pure, pure coincidence and nothing more. It was not planned, although uh, ever since the, the heist took place in 1978, I had set it in my mind that at some point in time in my life I would uh, write a book about this uh, sensational robbery that, that dominated the headlines for uh, months and months on end. And one day in uh, 2010, I happened to be at a fundraising event, and coincidentally, Henry Hill was there. So I introduced myself to him, and I proposed the project. Uh, we shook hands right there and then and struck a deal, and that's how it began. Daniel, for the benefit of the uh, younger audience that wasn't around in 78 for this, can you give us just, uh, just uh, s some of the high points of this? Heist? Well, the, the robbery took place at Kennedy Airport, and it, it entailed, uh, it was carried out by eight armed gunmen who um, had the assistance of an insider, a uh, supervisor, a supervising shipping clerk uh, who was employed by Lufthansa at the cargo building. And uh, they simply uh, rounded up the night staff. This took place at 3 a.m. on a Sunday night slash Monday morning. And after... Um, corralling the uh, uh, nine uh, individuals who were on duty that, uh, uh, that night. Uh, basically, they uh, simply put a gun to the, to the head of the uh, supervisor and forced them to uh, disarm the, the uh, safe uh, vault. Uh, the, the, and once the alarm was disarmed, they basically uh, backed the van into the vault and um, took out all the packets and bundles of cash and jewelry that were stored there, which had been transported back from Germany um, and it was due, it was scheduled to have been delivered the following morning uh, to the Federal Reserve Board in Manhattan. And, and didn't they, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't weren't the crooks surprised at how much was there? Weren't they thinking it was going to be like a million and it turned out to be almost six? The shipping clerk who helped him had estimated that the, there would be approximately a million to a million and a half in unmarked bills. And, of course, uh, when they loaded the van with these packets of uh, uh, money, cash, uh, the money was then transferred at a, uh, uh, at a warehouse located in Queens, Queens County. It was transferred into a, an automobile owned by Jimmy Burke. Jimmy Burke was the organizer of this affair, and uh, no one counted the money uh, at that point. The following morning, when Jimmy Burke alone at his home counted the money, he was absolutely stunned, astonished that uh, the, uh, the cash was nearly, nearly $6 million and an assortment of jewelry that he estimated at approximately another million and a half. But, of course, uh, that, that morning when the robbery was announced, the, um, the Lufthansa administrators estimated publicly that the, the money missing was approximately $2 million. <laughs> Jimmy Burke took advantage of that and told his cohorts, his <laughs> associates, that indeed, uh, you know, it was about approximately $2 million, and he told them that the, 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 uh, their share would be divided according to this $2 million total. But in fact, uh, it was sub substantially more than that. A week later, Lufthansa uh, issued a, a press release that uh, revised the $2 million <laughs> missing uh, amount of money to $3 million. The following week, that it rose to $4 million until finally, a month later, they, they finally uh, admitted that uh, the, the, we were wrong and that, in fact, the total money missing 
is almost six million dollars. So how how that how'd that go for Jimmy? Yeah, did they complain? <laughs> At that point, uh, the, the uh, Jimmy Burke's uh, uh, gunmen associates uh, began rebelling because they were beginning to realize that they were being cheated. So, uh, for that reason, and also to ensure that no one connected to the robbery might possibly testify against them, he systematically started liquidating them. And the total, um, um, mur- this total murderous spree wound up being approximately 13 people in all. And oh. that, that is how it ended. It doesn't sound like it's a wise business investment to do a, uh, a robbery with this guy. Well, no, you don't want to not, show up at the, at the meeting place in a brand new pink Cadillac either. Well, speaking no. of vehicles, now... The, the original van that uh, this money was put in, wasn't one of the guys supposed to drive it immediately to one of these car-crushing places? And have well, a- that's an interesting story in itself. The individual who had been uh, in charge of disposing the van at a, by delivering it to an auto wrecking yard uh, in the area who uh, was ready to uh, crush and bail it, what happened is, he, and incidentally, this individual was portrayed in the film Goodfellas by Samuel Jackson. He was a black guy. His na- his, in, in real life, his name was Stax, Stax Edwards. Well, Stax, uh, rather than driving the van to the auto wrecking yard, as he had been told to do, he digressed and decided to stop at his girlfriend's house, uh, parked the car too close to a fire hydrant, <laughs> And proceeded to um, romp in the hay with his girlfriend and uh, snorted cocaine, uh, uh, passed out. And the following morning, while he was still passed out, a uh, police cruiser noticed the van parked nearby the fire hydrant. And the policeman naturally started writing out a ticket. And as he was about to place the ticket on the windshield, he looked inside the van and noticed several ski masks scattered all over the floor of the van, ski masks that resembled the ones that had been described by the Lufthansa hostages. And the the van was impounded, and of course, fingerprints were lifted. Stax's fingerprints were lifted off the rearview mirror. Evidently, he must have uh, uh, adjusted it at some point in time. And of course, now he became a person of interest uh, and was being sought for interrogation. And Jimmy Burke decided to eliminate him before he started uh, possibly defecting and uh, uh, testifying against anybody that he could in order to save himself. And Stax was the first uh, casualty of the robbery. Now, if if Stax had simply done what he was supposed to do, things may have gone differently. Everything would have turned out differently, exactly. Just goes to show when the so, boss gives orders. So am I, am I fast-forwarding too much to find out what happened to Jimmy? Uh, no, no. Jimmy, um, Henry Hill was uh, subsequently arrested two weeks after the robbery for an unrelated charge, narcotics. And he was now facing uh, 30 years in prison, possibly even more, and decided to um, cooperate with the FBI and uh, started uh, ratting everybody out, including Jimmy Burke. And, of course, uh, during the same period, Jimmy Burke and Henry Hill had devised the infamous Boston College basketball point shaving scheme, which which was turned out to be one of the biggest sports scandals in history, and uh, he naturally testified uh, against Jimmy Burke about 
the uh, Boston College point shaving scheme, and that was the crime that Jimmy Burke was convicted and sent to prison. Can you give us a little uh, background on that shaving uh, scheme, how that worked? Uh, Henry Hill recruited three Boston College uh, players to uh, coordinate that um, and ensure that the final score of, of, of certain games that they were going to bet on uh, to ensure that the final scores would be below or above the uh, bookmakers' uh, point shaving uh, point spread, and of course, by betting against the point spread, they were they uh, were planning, they were hoping to reap you know millions of dollars in oh, profits, sorry. and that is how it, it all began. But it didn't quite work out as planned for several reasons. Which were well, uh, one of the players backed out. Uh, on the first game, one of the players uh, decided not to uh, um, play according to plan and decided uh, uh, to uh, try to uh, score as much as he possibly could in order to uh, um, enhance his, um, his um, uh, statistics. And the second game uh, was called off because of bad weather. And the third game, where everything was going according to plan, but by that point in time, the New York local bookmakers were were suspicious that some sort of foul play was going on with these college basketball games involving Henry Hill and were no were refusing to accept any any more bets from Henry Hill or Jimmy Burke or anyone known to them so Henry Hill and Jimmy Burke gave $180,000 in cash to uh, one of their associates his name is Paul Massey who also who still happens to be alive they um, consigned $180,000 in cash to Paul Massey to drive to Las Vegas and bet with the uh, Las Vegas bookmakers who were, at that point in time, unwitting of this uh, scheme that was going on. Hmm. But when Paul Massey arrived to, in Vegas on the day of the, that the game was about to begin on the East Coast, he called Henry Hill and said, guess what? I ran into traffic and I was not able to make the window in time. The window oh, being sure. the, the time frame to bet um, before that certain time li- uh, uh, limitation. Right. And, of course, uh, Jimmy Burke, when he heard this, he was <laughs> livid. Uh, Paul Massey did, in fact, bet the money and kept the winnings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why kept is the it? winnings and only returned to the original $180,000. Oh, so oh, he was much? later to be, to be murdered. But, of course, other things uh, you know, t- took precedence. Uh, Henry Hill was arrested for narcotics. He started uh, uh, testifying against Jimmy Burke and everybody else, and Paul Matze survived this scam that he pulled off. Did he? Uh, how much did he win? Uh, whatever the uh, the the, uh, the uh, uh, winnings would be, uh, according to uh, the percentages, which I'm not quite familiar with. But I, w- I would I would say at least at, at least two to one. Oh yeah, it was a million. There was a million dollars, probably. Somewhere. Probably. Why Why Boston College? Because uh, through uh, through the same uh, individual, Paul Massey, Paul Massey had contacts um, uh, with these uh, three Boston College uh, uh, players, and that was the reason why Boston College was chosen. It was just a random uh, um, uh, event that occurred, and there was no specific reason why they chose Boston College. Hmm. <clears throat> it probably it probably That's was Mark Boyer, by lesser the way. known. Uh, college than some of the powerhouses. Wouldn't no, no, not at all. It's far like from true. 
Right. Not at all. It, it was simply the, the fact that Paul Marseille had uh, connections with three players on, on on the Boston team, and that is the only reason why that facilitated uh, this whole plan. And, uh, and so it, Boston College was not chosen for any other specific reason. What, uh, what was the year on that? That was 1978, the December of 78 into January, into February of 79. As coincidence would have it. I uh, I used to do color for Boston College uh, hockey and basketball, 1970. So I missed all that. <laughs> you missed it by a few years. Yeah, yeah that's but what there's, you another, there's another coincidence in respect to this topic that's a place that that is of interest. The prosecutor, the the U.S. attorney who was involved in charge of the Lufthansa uh, uh, case, and who was actually. Uh, um, the briefing, the briefing, Henry Hill about <clears throat> about what you know the crimes that he was about to uh, uh, confess to uh, was a player on the Boston College <laughs> basketball team when he had gone to college there, and of course when he heard about this uh, scheme that Henry Hill was involved, he basically lost uh, control of himself and nearly strangled Henry <laughs> Hill in his office. <laughs> that almost happened out here at Al Radio a few times. <laughs> I, I, I bet it happened frequently. Uh, more, yeah, more than just a few. Which brings yes. me around to a, a question I asked you when we were together in New York for that TV show, and that was, how did you work out working with Henry? I'm sorry, can we pick that, please? How did you work out the arrangement of, of working with Henry Hill? I mean, you have to f try to find a time when he's, you know... Well, what happened is in the beginning of the um, uh, project... Um, I was having uh, difficulty uh, uh, c communicating with him because he, more, more often than not, uh, he would be intoxicated. He was drunk. And uh, the, the sessions simply could not, you know, go on because he was incoherent. So I, I, I decided, I said, look, let me propose this, Henry. Why don't you and I have these debriefing sessions early in the morning? Right after breakfast. This way, you know, you'll get it out of the way, and then you can go. You can go on with your day and do whatever you want. He says, "Good idea." So I said, "What time would you like me to contact you in the morning?" He said, "Well, call me eight o'clock my time, eight o'clock Pacific time, because he lived in Santa Monica at that point." So I did, and for the first few days, he was fine. He was coherent. He was uh, sober. And then, little by little, I noticed that he just wasn't normal. And uh, at times he would be as drunk as he as he was when I would have when I had spoken to him in the afternoons. So oh. it, it was very difficult just, to um, just just to sort of a, the information uh, together. Just out of strange curiosity, uh, how close did Henry Hill live to Whitey Bulger in Santa Monica? Do we know? Uh, about a mile and a quarter uh, from his uh, yeah, about a, mi a, mi a mile, less than a mile and a half apart. Did they did they know of each other or no. no? No. Well, they knew of each other, but they never met uh, in Santa Monica. No. Okay. But yeah, they coincidentally, just... yes, they were neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you unwittingly. Yeah. You know, the witness protection program, which we'll get to later, so I'm kind of jumping ahead, but uh, the uh, U.S. Marshals, I believe, and the uh, FBI, or whatever, both had witness protection programs, and they didn't communicate with one another, and they were. Both wound up sending people to the same place, which was my hometown of Walla Walla, Washington, which is what the movie in the book My Blue Heaven, you know, with Steve is, Martin. Is, yes. is, is that town just full of uh, uh, criminals? Yeah, yeah, including me. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and so, that goes all these people would wind up, you know, for like rival families, <laughs> etc., all living under these fake identities in Walla Walla. That was uh, kind of an interesting situation. But anyway, getting back to the original story, you got $6 million out there. Uh, you got the, the crew rebelling because they find out they're being ripped off. And uh, the, the Jimmy is uh, shooting everybody or having yes. them shot. Yes. 13. Uh, depriving the authorities uh, of uh, ever uh, interviewing any of the suspects. And by the way, uh, minutes after the robbery had been reported, the NYPD and the Port Authority police knew precisely who was involved. But they, they couldn't prove it. it wasn't, they hadn't left any fingerprints. The, the, only thing that, the only possible evidence was that one of the gunmen removed his mask because he was prescribing. He was, I guess, overheated, re removed his guest, and two or three of the hostages caught a good glimpse of his face, and ultimately, several days after the robbery, two of the hostages who did spot his face were able to um, uh, pick him out of a, um, um, uh, you know, police photographs, hmm. uh, you know, the uh, archived mugshot. Yeah. So that was the only evidence that they had as a lead. And other than that, uh, as we said, as we mentioned earlier, if Stax had followed orders and had the van destroyed, uh, the entire course of the investigation would have been totally different. Boy, no kidding. Um, I have a. Mark I'd, like to, I'd like to back up just a bit. One of the one of the the aspects of this uh, this case that fascinates me is administrative, and that's the negotiations with all of the different crime families that facilitated the robbery because they had to go through hoops and a number of different crime families to get permission. Well, actually, the only crime, other crime family that was involved uh, was the Gambinos, and John Gotti at that time was a uh, lieutenant. Uh, John Gotti provided the auto wrecking yard where the van was scheduled to have been crushed and bailed, and he also provided a warehouse in Queens County where they, the money was transferred from the getaway van to Jimmy Burke's vehicle. Oh. And for that, uh, John Gotti uh, received $250,000, uh, and he quickly uh, squandered it at the local racetrack within a couple of weeks. But that was, uh, wasn't the, was it the Bonamassa or Bonanno? I'm, I'm sorry, the I mean There was another family that Bonanno? was in charge of the air. The Bonanno family yeah, Bonanno. claimed to have been involved. And interestingly, um, one of the individuals who claims he was uh, one of the gunmen uh, has been communicating with me over the past um, uh, few weeks. He testified against his cousin uh, at a trial a year ago. His cousin, Vincent Asaro, had been charged as the mastermind of the Lufthansa robbery. And his cousin, his name is uh, Gary Valente, became an informant and was the uh, star witness for the prosecutors. But Asaro was ultimately um, um, acquitted. This was a I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the term mastermind. Yeah, that's what I am, Howard. We're going to take a 60-second break. Then we'll be right back with Daniel Simone, our special guest on True Crime Uncensored. Yes. If you and your own cell phone, we know you do. <laughs> or you want to be on Flash Friday with uh, me. Well, well, then you better uh, turn your computers 
You know what a computer is, right, there? Yeah, Darren. <laughs> yes, you do. Listen to Outlaw Radio every Saturday, 3B. You won't regret it. Love you, ladies. Where did they go for the app? Yeah, how did they find the app? Well, I don't want to mention that because it would take away from my... Isn't it RadioLoyalty.com? Yeah, can find it could be. <laughs> oh, boy. Here goes Matt. It's free? Go, boy, it is free. It is free. Yes, as long as you flash your movies on Flash Friday. Have another sip of wine, Tom. Bash. Yeah. You just me. punch in Outlaw Radio when you get to Radio Loyalty, Tom. I know. That's it. That's it. Hi, I am the legendary Burl Bear. In my spare time, when I'm not combing my hair or watering my legend, I also write true crime books. The latest one is Betrayal in Blue, the true story of Ken Urell and Michael Dowd. They were corrupt beyond human comprehension. <laughs> it's so extreme, you'll be drop-jawed with amazement. They were concerned about being busted by the cops because they were the cops, the biggest cocaine gang in all of Brooklyn, and the upper brass knew all about it. Did they do anything to stop them? Of course not. They didn't want a scandal. <laughs> they got one anyway, but they branched down to Long Island and the local Barney Fives busted their butts. Well, it's a fascinating book, and it tells you all the stuff that you don't find out in the great documentary, The 7-5. Betrayal in Blue by Burl Bear, Frank C. Gerardo Jr., and the real Ken Urell, available right now. Back to True Crime Uncensored. Heard of it. With Burl Bear. And Howard Lapidus. And Howard Lapidus. Now, didn't you... Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. Did you not say when you came in here today, Burl, what? that you had a copy of that book for me? Yes, I, I do have a copy for you. And where would that be? It would be right over here. And it's going to stay over there? No, or? no, I, I, I will I'll give you the, the darn bug. Because the yeah, at the end of the show, you just you disappear. Well, I, I evaporate. Yes, you do. Uh, and Magic Matt Allen's name is mentioned also. We know that. Guys. Magic Matt Allen's and in there. Mark, Mark Boyer. Mark C.G. Boyer's in there. I'm in Matt. there. Yeah. And uh, and honored to be in there. Yes, you should be. I am. Yeah. And by, by the way, Burl, I congratulate you on your book, and I Thank wish you. you success and the best. Thank you very, very kindly. And you know, you can get it in all three formats. Paperback. Ebook and audiobook. Hey, hey, bro, why don't you send Daniel a copy of the book? I say he gave me a copy of the little stuff. Yeah, yeah, book. send him a copy of yours. I, I would love that. See? Yeah. I'm on your side. <laughs> I, I see that. And I thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're, he's, he's pretty crafty, this Howard Lapidus guy. That's how he became manager to the star. You know, it didn't just drop into his lap out of nowhere. Actually, good thing you, actually, you, were, good you weren't doing business with Jimmy Burke, you'd be a corpse by now. I yes. am I'm pleased I did not. Uh, I've cho I've chosen not to do business in that uh, that way. Shape it's amazing that that Burke was kind of like the main guy trying to get everything out of this, and he never got in trouble for it. No, oh. he always managed to skate away. But isn't it interesting that uh, almost forty years later, the story never ends? Just a year ago, it was all over the, the uh, national news because of this Vincent Asaro, who went on trial as the master charged as the mastermind of the Los Tanzas robbery, and now it, the informant who testified against him, his cousin, is calling me and claiming that he was involved in the robbery. <laughs> they all want credit. 
talk, talk to me about mastermind. What does that mean? How does this a guy wake up in the morning and say, hey, I figured out something uh, and pull a gang together and put it together? Well, in, in, terms of, of, in terms of crime, the authorities devised that term to mean someone who supposedly uh, or presumably uh, is smarter than most <laughs> other criminals and managed to uh, uh, craft and plan a crime uh, of uh, epic proportion, supposedly. Can it, is it possible over the years and all the crimes that you know, when, when they get that big, is it possible to n not have uh, people squealing all over the place? It's very difficult to, um, <laughs> to uh, prevent that. Uh, it's almost impossible because all the authorities need is to collar one of the accomplices uh, who, who could uh, be convicted and, and could face 20, 30 years in prison. And uh, like uh, Paul Vario, the, uh, the Lucchese um, um, family uh, copper would often say, I don't care who the person is. If he's facing 30, 20 or 30 years, he will rat out his own mother. And it seems, mother, and, that's, and that's the that, that's the potential liability that that is ever present when when a crime is is pulled off by several different uh, cohorts. You know, I, Daniel, I was doing a uh, a class, I guess you'd call it, for reformation of hardline criminals at Washington State Penitentiary, and I was talking about taking personal responsibility and plotting your destiny, and got all done with my speech, and one of the prisoners came up to me and said, "Mr. Barrett, you really made a, a profound impression on me." And I've come to a, a, a real life-changing decision. I said, what's that? And he says, next time I do a bank job, I'm doing it all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, again, Paul Vario used to say, he would um, um, always ask this question, um, can you trust this person with whom you're going to commit the crime, can you trust them to be your co-defendants? <laughs> which, which, which in itself is a profound, you know, question. Uh, rightfully, if, if in fact you can trust someone to to be a co-defendant, meaning that if in the in the event you're both charged, will he uh, turn and testify against you? Well, we were thirty years later, and we got cousins testifying against cousins still. Yes. Now, yes. how did how did the Mister Mastermind get acquitted? They must have had uh, had evidence. Well, several reasons uh, could have um, uh, contributed to his acquittal. Uh, my book, my Lufthansa Heist book, had already been published at that point when the trial began. Now, the jurors um, were chosen, were selected, and isn't it possible that some of the jurors, out of curiosity, Googled the Lufthansa Heist? Of course. Okay. Uh, given that... Um, if you Google the Lufthansa heist, one of the first topics that will come up on the on the on the internet on the screen is my book. Yeah. And out of curiosity, isn't it possible that some of those jurors went out, purchased the book, and read it? Isn't that possible? Yes, very. Well, let's hope so. Okay, so now so, they, uh, let's say they let's say that is that that did in fact happen. They read the book and the defendant nor the informant who's testifying against them and claiming that he too was one of the robbers, both of them do not appear in my book. <laughs> that kind of undermines their credibility. Didn't yeah. Henry say he wasn't involved? Of course he said he wasn't involved. Wait, Henry wasn't involved directly. No, the, uh, no the, 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 Henry was not directly involved. Henry sort no, 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 of no, broke no, you, you misunderstood. Henry had commented that these, this individual was on trial was not involved. 
No, the individual on trial was not involved, uh, at least to the best of my knowledge. The informant, who I mentioned earlier, has, has since been in contact with me. He still maintains that his cousin, Vincent Asara, was in fact involved, and he himself was one of the robbers. So where's his money? He says he received $750,000 and uh, having a gambling uh, addiction, gambled the money in a matter of three or four months. Now that sounds easy. Which it is sounds, standard, it sounds which is too... absolutely standard. Yeah. Uh, I mean, after the $6 million, how much has been recovered? $17,000 because the only person who was apprehended put on trial and convicted was the Lufthansa employee, the Lufthansa um, the shipping clerk who had uh, assisted uh, Jimmy Burke and the, uh, the, the armed robbers in coordinating the robbery. He was arrested, and uh, he had already received a $17,000 payment from Jimmy Burke, and which was confiscated when he was arrested. Huh. So out of six unfortunately, million, unfortunately, he could not he could not save himself by by giving testimony about Jimmy Burke or anybody else who was involved because he only dealt with, uh, with Jimmy Burke through an intermediary whom he only knew as <coughs> Joe Buddha. Oh. So the poor guy, once he was uh, charged, arrested, and indicted, he could not even he was he was not in a position to strike a deal with the prosecutors because he really had no information to offer them. So what happened? What happened to the guy? He was he went on trial, was convicted, and sent to prison. And he uh, he was sentenced, I think, to six years, and was released after four and a half years. And he died approximately uh, five or six years ago. And he couldn't take the money with him. Uh, the seventy thousand dollars was unfortunately was confiscated. <laughs> oh, that makes it even worse. Make right. Talk about bad luck. Yeah, I was just looking at the covers of your book. I'll hold this picture up to the microphone so the folks can see it. Uh, two similar covers. Interesting, but they're different. <laughs> uh, one cub, what you're looking at, I believe, Burl, uh, you're looking at the, the image of the book cover itself, and you're probably looking at the image of the, uh, the, um, the, the packet of the uh, CD version, the audio version of ah, the book. Okay, which is slightly different. Okay. All right, that makes sense now, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I was, we I had on the show here a, a few weeks ago, whatever week that was, week that Howard wasn't here. We had uh, Mike uh, Plaguey, the U.S. Marshal, who happened oh. to be the U.S. Marshal for that area at that time. And he was, uh, he gives, you've probably seen it, he gives your book a very good review on Amazon.com about how accurate it is. He says, until, he says, there's one, until it gets to a point where there is a, a supposed gunfight between the U.S. Marshals and somebody else where I don't know, someone's shot and wounded and they want to call in the FBI for backup. And he said no such event ever took place. No, no. What, what actually happened is that while the, uh, the marshals were transporting Henry Hill from a safe house out in the, the Hamptons region of Long Island to the Brooklyn courthouse, during that trip is when they, they were ambushed and uh, the, uh, some gunmen f f um, f uh, riding in a car that had approached uh, the car that Henry Hill was uh, being transported in fired at them, and uh, two of the marshals sitting in the car next to Henry Hill were wounded. Now, were you able to it, validate that? That was validated by Henry Hill, and it was validated by the U.S. attorney who was in charge of the investigation. Ah, amazing. So they said, I have to get a hold of Mike. And, well, maybe Mike's listening because he, he's a big fan of the show. So, uh, Hi, Mike. 
Hi, Mike. <laughs> He's also a great guest. His book is good, too, if you want to read a cool book about the U.S. Marshals. But I thought that was kind of, uh, kind of interesting. So, the, so you got all law enforcement trying to round these guys up, but as fast as they're trying to round them up is as fast as uh, they're being shot, including their wives it, it, it and lovers. Was apparent, it became apparent that Jimmy Burke had a mole or someone not only uh, within the FBI but also with the NYPD, the New York City Police Department, who was feeding him information ahead of time and thus giving, enabling him to liquidate whomever was about to be uh, apprehended and in, interrogated well, by either the FBI, he, the U.S. Attorney's Office, or the NYPD. He had enough money to throw around to do that. Uh, yes. He, not to mention the fact that he had just uh, come into nearly $6 million. Correct. Yeah, head, so, a little pocket not, change. Right, which he did not distribute to his associates as originally intended. In fact, um, I believe that uh, anyone who was involved in the robbery, uh, except for John Gotti and Paul Vario, the Lucchese uh, uh, capo, all the other um, gunmen only received. Uh, I would. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating, based on my research, not more than thirty-five to fifty thousand dollars. Oh, they got ripped off. Imagine right. they were really robbed worked. of what they earned when they robbed. Uh, they were robbed. Yes. Isn't there a uh, a uh, story floating around that he gave the money to his daughters and they put it? It was put in a safe deposit box. Well, that story. You're right. That story was, in fact, uh, it still it still is float, floating around. But I I, I have not been able to confirm that. Oh, who has the key to the safe deposit box? Well, apparently, somebody. Again, had, I, I don't was know that such a access. safe deposit box even exists. Well, uh, the story goes that uh, two other individuals associated with this uh, were able to get the keys. And but the key to that, what you're talking about, is that it's a story. Yeah, and they. Uh, they I've heard, I heard that story in, in, in some sort of a book that was recently published by two individuals, but I don't have any way to confirm nor deny that. Well, I'll tell you this book. Say it again. What's the title? I get tongue-tied when I go to say it. Lufthansa. Lufthansa. Lufthansa Heist by Henry Hill and Daniel Simone. Uh, great reviews, and a lot of people who were close to the case, from law enforcement to criminals, have written reviews of it on Amazon, talking about how good it is and how accurate it is. So uh, uh, it must have been quite challenging dealing with Henry and then making sure he wasn't making stuff up. Well, it was very challenging, as I mentioned earlier in the show, but I also, uh, I was, uh, I had the privilege uh, to have the uh, immeasurable cooperation uh, of the um, U.S. attorney who was in charge of the, invest of, of the case. I also um, uh, collaborated with the two FBI agents who were the lead investigators in the case. And as a matter of fact, one of these FBI agents wrote the prologue in the book, and the second wrote the epilogue. I also had the uh, cooperation of the uh, chief, the Port, of, Port Authority chief of police, um, several New York City police um, detectives, New York City Police Department detectives. So I, I had the compilation of different individuals from the side of the authorities who contributed a great deal of knowledge from their perspective. And I was able to piece together their uh, contributions and Henry Hills as well. And hopefully I was able to uh, uh, compose a story that, uh, that makes sense. 
Hey, you know, now, you sat with Henry Hill, correct? You, you, yes. you Okay. And, and, and we did here, too, which is a coincidence, but, but he, he appeared on this show. And um, in anticipation of him coming, I had this opinion of what I was going to meet, and he was the exact opposite of that. Did you find him to be uh, uh, not this, uh, this huge criminal, this, this kind of a small, quiet guy? I knew, I already perceived that because I had heard him on um, on numerous occasions when he ap- uh, appeared on um, the Howard Stern radio show. Uh, and I also knew from my other sources that he, first of all, he was not a violent criminal, as he often alluded. And secondly, um, I knew, I had already learned from other sources that he was really a, a, a petty thief. He hijacked trucks here and there, uh, he was involved in prostitution, uh, some loan sharking, uh, rigged uh, card games, um, uh, selling um, uh, swag items, but he really was not uh, uh, the type of criminal who uh, carried out sensational <coughs> crimes. The Lufthansa robbery was, uh, his involvement, the, or the extent of his involvement in the Lufthansa robbery was only uh, the, the fact that he uh, introduced um, the uh, one individual with the other. He introduced um, uh, the bookmaker who uh, was, in, uh, who, uh, was uh, owed money by the Lufthansa shipping clerk uh, to uh, Jimmy Burke and, and nothing else. And that's, by the way, how, how this whole thing started. The, the shipping clerk, his name was Werner, uh, Werner uh, Lewis Werner, I'm sorry, and he was a gambler, uh, addicted gambler. He was indebted to a bookmaker who was associated with Henry Hill, and when he felt pressure from the bookmaker, that is when he proposed to offer the details and the a plan, a viable plan to get into the Lufthansa high-value vault at the cargo ter- terminal in exchange for forgiveness of the gambling debt. And mm-hmm. the bookmaker naturally relayed this to Henry Hill, and Henry Hill related to Jimmy Burke. And then from that point forward, Jimmy Burke took over and executed the robbery. But that and then executed the robbers. Henry Hill's involvement. <laughs> now, I was, I was telling you about the rave reviews this book has, has got. You got one scathing negative review from some guy who didn't believe Henry Hill about the prostitutes who stole the 30 grand. He says, full of BS. He says, <laughs> first they lose 30,000. Hill tells his buddy, forget it, there's more where that came from. This guy was first-class tough mafia. They'd not let two unknown prostitutes steal thirty grand and say, forget it. They'd hunt him down, behead him, and they'd go into the East River. <laughs> well, first of all, the, 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 the prostitutes absconded in the middle of the night while Henry Hill and his uh, cohort, Tommy DeSimone, were, were sound asleep and drugged out. So even if they wanted to pursue the prostitutes, where would they begin looking for them? Under the bed. Well, they were not there. <laughs> they were sleeping in. Uh, actually, they were doing the backstroke on the East. <laughs> doing the backstroke yeah. the or, East or some sort of a stroke. Yeah, yeah, there you go. The other thing, the, the other thing he complains about. I get a kick out of this because I get these too. Uh, complains that Henry could remember what suit he was wearing, and then he complains that Henry gets a suite in Vegas for his wife on one floor and one for his mistress on the floor above. <laughs> That, that was that was a standard procedure. I do that it. That was 
That was absolutely true. That was standard procedure. As far as what color suit or what, what, what brand of suit Henry Hill wore on a, at a certain occasion, well, that was uh, a part of the, the dramatization of, of, of the story in order to make it uh, entertaining and more interesting. Yeah, yeah it's called augmentation uh, uh, and creative reconstruction. Well, it's not in, in legal ter- in in in, um, in literary terms, it's really uh, the, the proper term terminology is narrative nonfiction. Yes, which was created by the great writer, the great author Truman Capote, when he wrote his magnum opus in cold blood. Yeah, and that's why I always say that's not true crime. That's exactly what you said it was. Right. <laughs> it's a great so, so those particulars and details that augment the story, such as what type of suit or what color or what color hair the prostitutes had or what, what color lipstick, that's basically part of narrative nonfiction devised to make the story more interesting and entertaining. For ease of their uh, reading, comprehension, and entertainment. Right, correct. If there's anything I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go write a book now. Now that I've learned yeah, that. Write your 89 days with Paula Abdul. I could do that. <laughs> Howard has been threatening to write his book, My 89 Days with Paula Abdul, for six years that I know of. And he's Why is that a threat? What was that? Why is that a threat? Oh, it's, it's, it's not. It's just not something that I would do. Oh, you should. I keep telling him to really I, Well, do it. I, mean, I know, but I'd be giving up a lot of stuff, and, and I, I can't do that. Ah, but you could write it and then put it. You could write it and. <laughs> I could write have it, it come out after your demise. Oh, there's a good idea. Yeah, kind of your magnum opus that comes out. But Howard bequeathed to the world by 89 days with Paula Abdul. Changing the, our name or identity would not serve a purpose. No, 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 no. 89 days with... No, it's uh, got to be 89. It was, it, it was actually 93, but 89's funnier. Yeah. It's just not quite 90. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, you know, you no. remember how that is? Brooklyn's funny, you know, because it's got the K sound, anything with yeah. the K sound in it. Brooklyn's much funnier than Queens. Yeah. I thought I'd know some funny queens. Well, there's that, too. Yeah. Yeah, the Las Vegas Lounge. Thank you. <laughs> Burl, again, information we really <laughs> do not like want to possess. Hey, you were just in Las Vegas recently, too, weren't you, Daniel? I'm sorry? You were in Las Vegas recently? Yes, in November. How was it? Did you win anything? Did you gamble at all? Nah, not really. I don't really uh, partake in gambling. I, I, I enjoy the warmer climate, uh, uh, the various restaurants, uh, some of some of the shows. And on this particular uh, trip, I uh, had the pleasure of and delight of uh, seeing Carlos Santana. Oh, Carlos! I got yeah, the clap from Carlos Santana, nineteen sixty-seven. a fantastic performer. Performance. Still to this day, he is amazing. Still to this day, yes. yeah. I was amazed when I came down with a venereal disease. Oh, you're, you're still on that? You see, because we don't care. I care dramatically. Well, you did. Look, you know, you got a shot of penicillin in your ass, and you're fine. Yeah, but it's all Carlos. Well, not Carlos's fault. It was the girl he was with. <laughs> and who I happened to be with the next day. <laughs> so so indirectly, it was, in fact, Carlos. Yeah, so I could tell people I got the clap from Carlos Santana. <laughs> he brokered it. <laughs> he brokered it. That's right. He got a percentage. <laughs> It just gave him tetracycline <laughs> instead of the penicillin. Uh, okay. Hey, is there there's a rumor going around that uh, movie rights may be in heavy discussion on this? Yes. The, the book has been optioned for a full feature film uh, for theaters, and uh, we're hopeful that they will materialize. I hope so, too. Um, how much of uh, Goodfellas got, did they get right? What did they get wrong? Uh, um, repeat that, please, Burrow. Oh, that was Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker, who wanted to know, uh, if you're familiar with the film uh, Goodfellas, you know, 
But yes, I'm very familiar. If, if that's accurate. No, that's really a, a fictitious rendition that uh, Martin Scorsese so brilliantly, brilliantly executed. But uh, no, it's not at all accurate. Yeah, it, it's, it seemed like the, the heist in the movie was much cleaner and simpler. Well, the, the film, in, in reality, doesn't really delve into the mechanics and specifics of the robbery. It's mentioned, it's alluded to, but for example, even the, the, murder, the murderous spree that takes place in the, in, the, in the film is not really explained. No, it's why a montage. These guys are getting whacked left and right. Yeah, it was a montage. Yeah, montage yeah, of exactly murder. A montage. But very delightful. Very delightful montage of murder. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, opening the truck and seeing case, the case guy in point, the, 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 the great the great uh, uh, Ray Liotta, uh, I think his performance was absolutely fantastic and brilliant, uh, portraying Henry Hill, but it was an accurate portrayal. Henry Hill, in real life, was not at all the way Ray Liotta uh, portrayed him. Yeah, when when we were going to meet Henry Hill, I was waiting for Liotta to walk in, and he he doesn't. (laughs) Henry Hill walks in, and he's a much different guy. Yeah, totally, altogether, even physically. Yeah, Yeah, totally. big, Big difference. But then again, you know, I can remember when uh, Francisco Zeffirelli wanted to cast Dustin Hoffman as Jesus, and they wouldn't let him. <laughs> True. And right with the so. accent. Hello, <laughs> 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 Edward G. Robinson of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah where's your God now, here. Moses? <laughs> I'm walking here. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> what project? Well, I know the answer to this, but our audience doesn't. What project is coming out next? Well, my upcoming book uh, is um, uh, about the famous uh, 1972 New York City Pierre Hotel robbery that was executed by eight armed uh, gunmen, and these guys were literally a class act. I mean, they were all dressed in tuxedos. They, they carried out the robbery the day after New Year's Day, the, the night after New Year's Day, I should, I should say more accurately. And um, they were very, very polite and um, accommodating to the hostages. Uh, in fact, w- after the, the robbery was over, as they were about to vacate the, uh, the hotel, uh, they gave each of the host- to each of the hostages um, a twenty dollar bill, which back then uh, would be uh, equivalent to approximately two hundred dollars at present value. Well, that was a good deal. Yes, and uh, again, in that robbery, nothing was ever recovered, and uh, no one was really convicted for the robbery. How much did they get away with? Uh, approximately. $27 million oh. in gems and cash. That which, was a lot of money then. <laughs> again, yeah. Again, translated to at present value, that would be equivalent to almost a quarter of a billion oh dollars. God. Someone's got that somewhere. So how did they yeah. know? Uh, did, did talk, talk to us about that. Give us a little a tease on your new book, but, but, but talk to us about how they knew that that was there. And it, who- it was very carefully researched by Two master, these guys were truly masterminds. Talking, speaking about masterminds, these two individuals, Bobby Comfort and Sammy Nalo, what their names, were jewel thieves. That's what they specialized in. And more accurately, more specifically, they specialized in robbing uh, luxury hotels in Manhattan. Hence the reason why they targeted the Pierre Hotel. And um, after their extensive research and uh, planning, they recruited uh, six other gunmen, 
and incidentally, the sole surviving robber has been my collaborator on this book. Wonderful. Yes, he's currently in the Federal Witness Protection Program for an unrelated matter, nothing to do with the peer robbery. But he's the sole surviving member of that robbery squad, and he uh, lent himself to me uh, to produce this project, and I'm very grateful to him. And the book will be out sometime in May. Fantastic. What was uh, was, uh, at the hotel that had such value? Why was there Uh, so much money there? Okay, these what they did, the robbers ransacked... Uh, the safe deposit boxes that uh, were used by the hotel guests to secure their valuables. And because banks had been closed for three consecutive days because New Year's Eve fell on a Friday, uh, many of the hotel guests uh, secured their their, um, uh, valuables, their jewelries and valuables and cash in the hotel safe deposit boxes. And these boxes were chock full of uh, diamonds and all, uh, a variety of uh, precious stones and jewelry and cash. And in total, uh, they the all produced approximately $28 million, $27 million. Now, if I had $27 million, I'd retire. If you had $27 million, you I'd still owe it. me some. <laughs> oh, do I still owe you 20 bucks? You still owe me some. Oh, God. Well, these guys, in the end, when all was said and done, uh, the money was squandered, was stolen, they uh, double-crossed one another, they murdered one another. Manson and the whole, the entire oh, yeah. Manson affair. We were talking about that. The, remember we had on the guy from uh, Goodbye Helter Skelter saying that uh, Manson was railroaded? Correct. Yeah, yeah this is yes. what uh, what Daniel's doing. As a matter of fact, um, the Reels Channel uh, has optioned the, that manuscript uh, for a series of documentaries which will begin um, uh, to be aired sometime in the early fall of this year. Fantastic. Now, I think we have just enough time for me to ask you a totally unrelated question. Uh, Norman Mailer, is that who you worked with? Norman Mailer, yes. Norman Mailer was uh, one of, one of the founders of the infamous um, uh, publication uh, titled The Village Voice, yes. which was a radical news- newspaper back in the 60s, inciting uh, insurgents to um, uh, riot against the federal government uh, in protest of the Vietnam War. And uh, Norman Mailer was one of the founders, and uh, I was one of the uh, uh, freelance writers who occasionally wrote for the paper. And uh, Norman and I remained friends until uh, until he died. Who, uh, who else was involved in that, real quick? Mailer uh, and who there else? Were, there were two other founders, but their names escaped me. Okay. Uh, it's, been, it's been over 50 years now since. Yep. But there, there were three individuals, but Norman Mailer was the, uh, the ringleader. It was quite a publication. Hey, Daniel. Thank you yes. so you, much. You've got to come back. Uh, you'll come back when the new book comes out. It was a phenomenal hour. Thank you. Yeah, it great, will be my pleasure. Great show. Daniel Simone, the book, The Loose... Lufthansa heist. Buy it, read it, believe it. Yeah.